Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is to you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. I'm the co-host, Andre Howe. Man, and we're excited, man. We're off to a great season. Have a, we've had a number of great guests, um, but we're adding to that list with an NFL PA certified financial advisor, private wealth advisor, Houston native, HBCU alumni. Um, you know, is, we're, just, we're just excited. We're just excited about the opportunity to kind of talk about the dynamics of uh, finances as it relates to uh, pro athletes, but just in general. So uh, with no further ado, we want to welcome to the episode, Mickey McGill. Welcome to the episode. Thank you, guys. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, Mickey, our, our podcast in general, what's the hype? We really just want to dive into uh, the, the dynamics of a professional athlete. We want to, you know, talk about it, go behind the curtain of most of those guys and what they experience because from the outside looking in most people think their life must be easy they get anything and everything they want you know got everybody taking care of them but again there's so many different other dynamics so um by you uh being in this industry and seeing firsthand a lot of the different things that guys experience we thought you'd be a great guest to come on and talk about that so um typically how we start we just want to start about you know about the, the beginning tell us a little bit about where you're from what it was like going growing up there yeah, so originally, originally, uh, I'm from Maryland, Columbia, Maryland. I lived there for about nine years, um, you know, kind of one of those really beautiful places, you know. Um, they actually uh, advertised the, uh, the, 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 um, the community by having a, a interracial couple. So it was one of those like Shangri-Las, like racism wasn't supposed to exist and all those kind of things. But I uh, moved to Jersey for another year and then down to Texas. So I moved to Houston in, in, uh, when I was in the fifth grade and been here ever since. So. Uh, you know, just, just uh, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about things later, but, you know, went to school out in, in Virginia, went to Hampton University, um, you know, here at Houston, went to Jack Yates, uh, graduated from there, um, lived in Vegas for about three years, working with the funding and financial service uh, before I moved back to Houston and started as a financial advisor down here. I've been doing that for the last 18 years. Okay, good deal. Cool. Did you play sports? I did. I did. I played about 12 years of soccer. Uh, okay. That's not n normally a, a, a sport that most people <laughs> attribute to black folk, but yeah, when in Maryland on the on the East Coast, soccer was a big big deal. So I just continued it. Um, you know, at Yates, it was the lower tier sport, so we had no uh, no guests <laughs> that came out to our games. Uh, but yeah, I was heavily into it, and and I was probably good enough to go into collegiate sports but my university didn't have soccer so i just i was more interested in going to my school than i was playing soccer at the time so i stopped after that was it anybody in particular kind of got you into soccer it was just like the environment in which you were in nah man i was five years old they put me in there and just threw me <laughs> threw me in this is the sport you're gonna play i was like all right no problem and i ended up being really good so i just stuck with it gotcha so as you mentioned you did go to the historic uh jake uh jack yate high school um, obviously where the uh, the late George Floyd started in sports. Can you talk a little, about, a little bit about this, the history of Yates sports and um, just any any uh, notable uh, people or individuals that, that have come through those halls at Jack Yates? Oh, yeah. So Yates, 
Yates is a very historic school. Uh, my grandmother graduated from Yates uh, and was a second class back in uh, the early teens of 1900. Um, and my mom actually ended up going to Yates. So again, I have a lot of uh, uh, you know family that went there. But um, Damian Square, he's a, a current NFL player. Um, players like uh, Johnny Bailey, um, Santana Dotson, uh, Gerald Moore graduated with me. Um, Ari Beavers was was in school when I was there. Uh, Booker T from the WWE actually went to twenty eights also. Um, and uh, uh, Toast Patterson won two Super Bowls. Uh, uh, some NBA, Ricky uh, Wilson, uh, 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 Winslow, excuse me, and uh, Monica Lamb, Powell, and, uh, and Steve Henderson actually played baseball. So we have a, a very, very deep history of not only sports, but, you know, like Felicia Rashad and Debbie Allen, Roland Martin, uh, all went to all went to Yates. So we have a, a very, you know, big group of alumni all across America, you know, across all generations. So, but yeah, it was very historic. And I was very happy to go there. Cool. Like Jeff mentioned, uh, George Floyd did go, did go to Yates. Um, did, did you know him? And did, um, Yeah, he actually graduated with me. So, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and same class. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your thoughts about his, about his tragic death and, um, you know, how, 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 how that kind of affected the country? So, so to me, like, George Floyd's death was much like Emmett Till, right, where it was so shocking and so in your face that you just couldn't look away. Um, that has a lot of reasons why, you know, it was one of those last straw things. Like, we've been talking about it for years, and no one seems to believe us, but when you actually see it, the callousness of the officer and uh, the way, he, you know, he had his, his, his knee on his neck, um, really kind of lets you know, you know, these things that we've been talking about are really true. So, um, you know, and George Floyd was a really great guy. Um, you know, uh, you, one of those guys that was a peacemaker and always wanted to make sure everybody was good. Um, big smile. It's hard to miss him walking down the hall being as tall as he was. But yeah, but but to me, it's like, that's the type of thing, unfortunately, that has happened. It takes to the catalyst to kind of change the country is when you see something that brutal um, that you just can't look away. It's one of those things that needed to happen, unfortunately, to, to have, have a big change in, in the world. Gotcha. So you actually got to see him play firsthand, just, you know, as a classmate. Um, was he pretty good? So I'll be 100% honest. I ain't go to many football games. <laughs> so <laughs> crazy as it is, I played soccer, but I don't actually watch sports. That's, I, was, I was really into the books and into my own sport. That was really it. So I didn't get out there that often. I, I went to a couple of games, you know, but, I mean, remember who was on the team? Yeah. I mean, it, we were friends off the field. But yeah, on the field, (laughs) which is a very interesting thing and what what I do, what I do. Um, But I think that's an extra reason why I'm I'm really good at it. But I'm sure we'll talk about some of those things later. Yeah. So um, as you stated, uh, you um, you graduated from Yates. So now let's talk about you again from here in Houston and where you decided to go. So let's talk about why you decided to go where you um, uh, did uh, as far as college. Yeah, so actually, I made the decision of where I was going to college before I even went to high school. So in the eighth grade, I visited Hampton University and fell in love. Now, I think it was mainly because my mom had a very strategic plan. Uh, my brother was going there at the time, and we went for homecoming, and my mind was blown. It was, you know, I, <laughs> I was sold after, on the, on the plane ride back, I, I told my mom I was going to Hampton. So even before I got to high school, I knew that's where I was going. Um, and to me... One of the things about HBCUs, a lot of times people feel or think that an HBCU is a backup plan, 
Well, Hampton wasn't a backup plan. It was the only place I was going. It was actually the only school that I applied to. Um, I had a math teacher. Um, I was, I'm really, really good at math, and, and my geometry teacher really wanted me to go to MIT, but I had zero interest in going to any schools like that. You know, a different world was, was really big back then, so you know, going to HBCU was, was my, my main focus of, of where I wanted to be. Cool. <clears throat> there, there's a lot of attention on, on HBCUs right now, especially like with top athletes now. Um, see a lot of guys trying to go there, a lot of big-time basketball players starting to go to HBCUs. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about guys going to HBCUs now to play, play sports? Now, I think it's a very important thing. I mean, there's so much money in sports right now that, you know, HBCUs kind of get the short end of the stick. You know, when, when segregation ended and we were able to go to the, you know, PWIs, predominantly white institutions, people kind of forgot about the HBCUs or thought they were less than. And that was always been my thing. HBCUs are not less than. They, they, they are, they are an integral part of the country. And again, if we bring some of those talent to an HBCU, you'll get more visibility, you'll get you know, more talent. I mean, I'll happen to say that uh, Hampton University is the uh, only Cinderella team to, to beat uh, beat a number two seed and come back the very next year to the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, we have talent that comes out of there. So it's, a, it's an important thing that we need to make sure to focus on. The problem is that, again, we don't have the dollars. So we don't have the athletic facilities that you see out there. But to me, it just makes you grind a little bit harder. Um, you know, you know, you know, you need to work for it. You, you know, it's 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 not only helping you, but it's helping your community and helping to make sure that there's a safe place and a safe environment for people to go to school. Absolutely. As a fellow HBCU alum, I I've had this conversation a number of times where, you know, I talked about how that can all change by just having a couple guys band together and say, you know what, right. we're gonna forego the big power fives and just commit because again the attention that they will bring would then bring the money because you know it doesn't really matter in basketball when you go play for especially if you're going to go play for a year and go to the pros anyway because you're you know that highly touted but the uh residual effect from that by by, by bringing the attention could change the, the landscape of hbcu so when i started to see guys uh where I, you know guys starting to make uh, be aware of that with everything else that's going on i think that this can ultimately shift the culture um, because once you know once it become cool and other kids kind of accept it and embrace it and really understand the impact I think that that can again like I said shift the culture so I'm looking forward to seeing more of this happening um, I even think about you know some of the athletes kids like a LeBron James kids who you know it's not about money for them right it's like right if they say hey a couple of my AAU teammates high school team let's go play the HBO. Mm -hmm. what impact would that have Right. And, and to me, the, the other thing is, too, is like because HBCUs, it's a very tight network of people. Right. I mean, you know, you're an HBCU, you get it right away. Like I'm it's almost a blasphemy to say this, but I'm almost wanting to go buy a Howard you know, University, you know, jacket or a hat because, you know, uh, you know, because because of what's happening. And so and even like uh, Mikey Williams, who's, mm -hmm. you know, class of 2023 was his mom went to Hampton. So. That's why he doesn't have an issue saying he's going to the HBCU. And I'm also seeing a trend in football players. They'll go to, you know, uh, uh, big-time schools a lot of times, and then they'll grad chance transfer into an HBCU for that last year. Uh, to get, you know, for, first of all, get that experience, but also because now, you know, with talent, the talent they have, they can really show and, sh and shine um, at an HBCU. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it a number of times, even over the years when I played, it was always guys transferring into the con uh, conference that was – 
you know, at other bigger universities, whether it be, you know, whatever reason, but they found their way back. So, um, so yeah, so I'm excited to see what's happening. But talk about a little bit about your time at, at Hampton. Um, mm -hmm. What did you study and why? So originally I was going into journalism. So uh, broadcast journalism was my, was my major. Um, and, I, um, and I switched it uh, uh, to business management. Uh, my dad actually is an executive, uh, was an executive at, at NBC. So my whole goal was, I mean, I had a, I'm, I'm a planner, right? So when I was in the eighth grade, I had a 30 year plan. I was gonna be president of NBC. I was very ambitious as a child. And uh, I kind of saw all the stuff in the politics that were involved in it. And I changed my major to business management because I wanted to own my own business. So that's, you know, made that change, you know, junior year and, um, you know, I didn't know exactly what direction I was going to go into. I just knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and, and run my own life. So, yeah. Cool. After graduating from Hampton, where, where did that journey lead you? So um, after graduation, my dad ended up retiring uh, uh, from NBC and moved out to, to Las Vegas. So he wanted to open up funding and financial service, you know, help companies get money. Um, and it made sense to me. It was, you know, again, it was our own business. And we did that, again, for three years um and really enjoyed it and and what ended up happening is i met a uh i met a financial advisor while we were trying to help one of his clients get funding for his business and he was young had a family you know young child i was like you know what that might be a, an interesting career choice uh later on and then i mainly moved back to houston to help take care of my mom she was sick at the time so i ended up i was only going to be here for six months but um saw the job for a financial advisor and applied for it became a financial advisor and been one ever since and it was kind of the best decision i ever made because it's something I, I truly truly love and, and enjoy doing good deal now after some time in the financial field uh with some success let's talk about you know the reason you decided that you were uh, wanted to start working with professional athletes yeah, so for, for me, you know, I actually got referred to two NFL players in the first week I became an advisor. So I had like a, what we call like a natural market seminar and a good friend of mine who was a, a sports agent had two of his clients and he brought them to in the event and met them, but I didn't know anything. I mean, I literally, I, I, I was like, I know how bad uh, sometimes athletes are taken advantage of and I didn't know enough to even point them in the right direction. So I didn't even take them on as clients. I didn't even have meetings with them. So to me, it was, I wanted to understand the business before I started dealing with people with serious dollars, you know, cause I didn't want to mess up someone's livelihood in their life. So once I got a better understanding in the industry and I was doing it for a while, what, what ended up really pushing me to go into athletes, work with athletes was uh, 30 for 30, um, the ESPN specials they do. One of them they did was called Broke. And it was really about NFL players, you know, going broke. It's, it's the, you know, it's 85% of NFL players end up being bankrupt or, or you know, financial distress within three years of, of leaving the league. So that was a thing, you know, I've heard reports of being, being taken advantage of. So I have a couple of friends from, from college who grew up with a, with a big time, you know, basketball star um, that I met many times and never wanted to, you know, Know, impede and, and be that guy to hey here's my card you know I did I never wanted to be that guy but come to find out that his advisor in essence kind of swindled him out of 20 million dollars and I say advisors in quotation marks because his advisor wasn't licensed there was no compliance department looking over his shoulder so again that kind of was the catalyst to start me to, to work with, with athletes and um, and in, in 2017 the Super Bowl was in Houston 
And that was kind of like the best thing for me to start. And I made some connections and a really good friend of mine, Rob, uh, was in the industry. And within three months, I was working with six NFL players. Once I made that decision, it was pretty, it was pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, being a former player, you know, I, I understand about, you know, making money and then making a lot of money and like, don't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? Like right. I was 20, 20, 25 years old, a millionaire. So I'm, I'm looking around like, what I'm gonna do? You know, my mom telling me this, my dad telling me this, my sister telling me this, my brother telling me this, like everybody telling me a whole bunch of stuff to do and they, they don't know anything about it. They, they, they never been millionaire in their whole life. So how you gonna say about being a millionaire? You never been a millionaire. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, what's, what's like your game plan? Like what you do, what you, what you, what you tell the players when you get them? Like how, how you like sell yourself to, to, to them? Yeah, so a lot of times what, what um, <laughs> to, to your point, right? So that's something that, makes me really different from all the other advisors is, you know, first of all, you know, the people that work with athletes, a lot of times it's, it's two people. One person that is just getting started in the business and athletes have money. So I'm gonna go work with them. The second advisor is I'm a successful advisor and I love sports. So wouldn't it be great to work with players? And a lot of times they have their own kind of agendas that they try to do. Well, I'm neither of them, right? So I'm the type of person that you know, I'm not new in the business. I've, I've got 20 plus years experience in it. Um, I, I mentor young kids. I, I do a rites of passage uh, program where I, I teach etiquette and personal hygiene to them. So I know how to talk to younger people to say things that they get and respect um, to make sure they listen. Uh, and number three, you know, again, I'm a successful advisor. And so I've dealt with millionaires already. Uh, I grew up you know, with, with a dad that had a lot of money and, and experienced that lifestyle. But I also experienced a lifestyle, you know, after my parents got divorced, moving to Houston, moving in the third ward, moving in the fifth ward. You know, I got an understanding of both sides of it. So I understand the language of someone coming from, you know, uh, places where people around them don't have a lot of money or the people that grew up middle class. I, I kind of straddle both sides of it. So for me, what I always talk about is education, right? The amount of money that you're able to make not only can change your life, but can change everyone else's life around you. So I always have the best example. There's um, five, the five wealthiest retired NBA players. Uh, three of them, two of them, yeah, three of them you know really well. Two of them you may or may not know. So of course, you know, you got your Shaquille O'Neal's, you got your Michael Jordan's, um, uh, 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 you got your Magic Johnson. But number two on that list is a guy named Junior Bridgman. Junior Bridgman is worth $600 million today. Mm -hmm. and made no more than $700,000 when he was playing. And, and again, he started going into businesses. He, he used his, his fame and notoriety while he was playing to turn that into a, a business attribute. Uh, Vinny Johnson is the other one. He's number five. He's around uh, about $300, $400 million right now. Did the same thing. He was able to walk in to, uh, 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 um, to GMC, I believe, um, and meet with a vice president because he played for the Pistons. Mm -hmm. When you're a celebrity, when you're an athlete, doors are open to you that aren't open to other people. And I don't care if you're, you know, number 47 on the roster, you play for a team and you have the ability to walk in the door and use that notoriety to get you the information that you need to maybe start your own business and do your own thing. So my thing is always about how do you turn your dollars and your notoriety into something bigger and better? And not only that, empower the people around you. LeBron James empowered the people around him, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't just get his, his buddy to be his agent. 
he sent his buddy to go learn how to be an agent from some of the best agents out there. He sent his business manager back to school to get a degree in business management so he understands it. So don't just give money to, to people because that's what ends up happening. Most players go broke, not because they spend a bunch of money and they're partying all the time. It's because of the people around them. They need to help their parents out, their, fist, their sister, their brother, you know, the person in the community that something happened to them, they need extra dollars. My thing is empower people, train and educate so they can, you know, make their own money and you don't just have to give it to them. You know, teach a man to fish. Don't just give him a fish. Absolutely. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm a big fan and a follower of the LeBron and his, the whole thing that they're doing. And I mean, it just, he, I think he's setting a precedent and starting to, like you said, empower individuals. Um, and, and in my previous role working in the NFL, I saw a lot of mm -hmm. times the schedules that the athletes would have, because I had to kind of oversee some of that, where they had appearances, right? So they might be doing right. something with Verizon. They might be doing something with uh, Energy Bank. So I would, uh, in, in some cases, with some of the younger guys, like, hey, man, make sure that you're not just showing up to these appearances and getting a check, that you interact with these vice presidents, these presidents of these, these executives of these companies, you know, just to kind of, you know, get your name out there and just build relationships. You never know where they can lead to. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So, again, I think it's vital that what you're saying, that, they, that they're able to take advantage of those opportunities. So what I want us to do is just kind of go beyond the hype and give a scenario in the case of a rookie who just maybe signed a $4 million contract with a $1 million signing bonus. What does it look like after, like, agent fees, pre-draft expenses, new home, car, et cetera? You know, kind of what would be uh, your strategy in that case of just kind of educating them and, and you know, and, and putting things in place for them? Yeah, so um, the, 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 the problem is, is that a lot of times you come in the door and you got to pay taxes right off. That's, that's the biggest issue. So, you know, the bad part about being an athlete is they're W-2 employees. What does that mean? That means that they don't have the ability to deduct uh, expenses that they have that they incur from different places like even agent fees aren't deductible anymore that's a that's a problem for them. so if you get four million dollars in you're somewhere in the neighborhood of paying about you know 1.4 million of that to taxes um, federal you got state income tax if you're in California you know that's another half a million right there um, you got agent fees may end up being you know somewhere in the neighborhood of $120,000 so by the time you're said and done with the uh, PA and, and, and dues that you got to pay towards there and taxes, that $4 million turns somewhere in the neighborhood about $1.8 So it disappears quickly, especially if you are somebody that work, you know, works in a California or something like that. A lot of times, again, what I, what I tell clients is, you know, you came from college, you were a broke college student. Let's move in gradually <laughs> into these dollars, right? Because what ends up happening is that people get golden handcuffs, is what I call them, where you're living the lifestyle of a $4 million person where you live on $1.5 million as if you're going to get those dollars every single year. Well, 
Let's not worry about the bonus. Let's not worry about all those other things. Let's just focus on what your salary is. Mm -hmm. Your salary is a lot less. And not only is it a lot less, we need to live off of some of those dollars, but still continue the habit of saving your money. So we budget. That's our main thing. That's the first thing we do. How much do you need for a place? Um, you know, you don't know if you get drafted to a, a, a team in California, are you going to stay in California year round? We don't know. So instead of going out there buying a house right away, maybe you rent a place for the first, you know, first season to see if you know what, maybe I want to have my house here in Houston and that's where my homestead is. And now I get to use some of the state income tax, which is zero in Texas to my benefit, as opposed to living in California. So a lot of times what we have a conversation around is how can we best use our dollars to get us in the best situation that no matter what happens, I'm going to be able to continue my lifestyle and not have to file bankruptcy and go broke because I've saved up enough money on the side to be okay. Not only that, we get past our budgeting and what we spend our dollars on. We talk about investing. I tell my players that I treat you like a 60 year old man. I don't know if you're going to be retired in two years, 10 years or 15 years, right? I don't know. So therefore we don't need to be an aggressive investor. We don't need to have all your money in the stock market. We don't need to have all your money invested all in real estate or, you know, all in a startup company that you wanted to do. Uh, we need to be a little bit more conservative. I know it sounds boring, but this is a way that you don't go broke. This is a way that you always have money and always have it available if you have money that's also conservative. So COVID-19, perfect example. Who would have thought that COVID-19 may derail the whole entire NFL season? Players may only get $500,000 if the, if the NFLPA gets, with their, um, gets through with their, their proposal on the minimum if the season gets canceled. Well, if you're making $11 million a year, you go down to 500,000, that makes life very difficult. But if we saved and invested and put money in, in a conservative manner, we'll have money to get there. So that's the mindset. I have to educate and, and tell them how it is. What you hear out there doesn't really mean it's for you. Some of the big people out there, I won't name any names, but you know them, you know, you know, zero debt people, the, you know, the people that are on the TV shows and stuff, they're not talking to you. What the advice they give, if you try to do the advice they give, you may not even be able to do it tax wise because you make too much money. That's the thing that you have to take, a, take, take, a, take into consideration what advice that you get from people. They may not understand the financial situation. And that's what I do with a lot of my clients, get down to brass tacks. That makes sense, man. I, I kind of I live the same way. When I was playing, um, I didn't splurge. I saved my money. And when I, when I, when I was ready to retire, I, I just stopped playing. Like, I didn't have to keep on playing because I had money. I had money saved over. I had money left over. I had, I had investment already, too. So I didn't, need, I didn't need to keep playing and keep making money because I already had the money. But, um, yeah. And, or, and, to, and to, to that point, so one of my players now, he's, his goal, he wants to be done with the NFL the next five, six years, right? So we're setting up and devising a plan that we're literally able to just have him live off the interest of his investable assets. And he'll never worry about money. He'll never run out of money because we're doing a percentage from his assets that literally will keep him in perpetual money uh, no matter what happens and no matter, and no matter what market. It's just, a, it's just a smarter way to do it. That's what we do for our retired people. I treat players just like they're, they're older, yeah. right? Yeah, that makes sense. Scenarios and, and education and training the same way they do for the older guys. I think it's yeah, two I mean, things. Yeah. I think it's education and I think that it's discipline. 
right? Because once you educate the guy and say, man, look, I know it may be temporary gratification right now. You you, you want to go and do some of those things that your, your counterparts are doing, buying these big cars and all that thing. But you can be disciplined and then you can get the education in terms of what this can do for you for your long-term plan. That in itself can change everything. It change everything. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I, 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 one of the things I always say, you gotta, you gotta be damn mad, right? Um, discipline and motivation, and motivation and discipline. So sometimes your discipline will help you when you don't feel as motivated, right? I have a discipline track that I go on. I get up, I work out every day. I do my morning meditation. That's your discipline. So when that motivation falls off and that discipline, you know, continues on the right path until you get back motivated again, to get you back on that right track. So that's kind of the way I, I, I explain it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, who are some of your clients and uh, what do you create for, for you landing those clients? Like what, what did you do? What, what, what did you tell the people that, that made them like want to build you? Sure, sure. Well, I, I can't divulge uh, uh, who my clients are. It's a confidentiality thing, but I have players on the Texans, the Raiders, the Lions, the Jets, Cardinals, Rams, Eagles, Browns, 49ers, Panthers, Bears. Um, in the team formerly known as the Redskins. So um, I have a bunch of players across across the board um, and multiple players on, on a team. Uh, but, uh, but for me, honestly, I just, I just keep it real. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not starstruck, right? Like I said before, I, you know, I, I don't watch sports. So for me, like, if you're the number one player in the world or you're the, the last guy on the totem pole, you know, I, I treat you the same as far as respect level goes because I need to respect you as a man before I respect you, uh, uh, you know, as a client. So to me, it's just keeping things real with people and being brutally honest. Like I, I tell people up front, like I am not going to always be your friend. I'm going to say things that are going to piss you off. That's my job. If I placate you and I'm a yes man, you're going to end up being broke, right? So we have to have that conversation up front to say, this is what we, we need to do. This is what we need to agree upon for, in order for us to work together. And a lot of times advisors come in, you know, you know, trying to kiss their butt. I mean, that's not me. I'm not, I have never been that guy. I never will be that guy. So, you know, the best way that I always do is just me being real with them and letting them know that I'm always available for a call and to have conversations. So, you know, it's like going to a doctor. You, you, you need to feel comfortable enough to tell them the things that you've done wrong and messed up on so they can help diagnose you. It's the same thing. If we don't have a relationship, then you're not going to call me and ask me questions. So, you know, I have to try to build a relationship as best I can, but each player is different too. I treat everyone differently. It's, it's the relationship you want. I have players that we only talk once or twice, you know, a year. And that's the kind of relationship they want to have. If something goes wrong, they call me, right? Other players, I mean, it's every other week we have a conversation. And a lot of times the players that I have longer conversations with tend to do better just because I'm able to spot check when things go wrong. Right. If they get taken advantage of, you know, we don't we don't want to have that happen. Like you said, I, I mean, I think those are all key indicators and in just, uh, you know, helping to steer them in the right direction. And at least uh, and again, really the long term success. But like you mentioned, um, we, we've heard the tragic stories, the 30 for 30s. We've seen it time and time again. What do you think could be done at the college level or even a high school level to expose uh, uh, the, the players to like this type of information or, or just, mm -hmm. you know, the things that will better suit them or better prepare them for walking into opportunities like this or money like that? Yeah. Education is, is, is number one to me. I mean, we don't really teach financial planning aspects in college unless you're a financial planning major or something. 
you, you need to have you need to have that in there in schools and high school. Um, you know, I was talking to my niece last night, and she's never even you know written an envelope, right? I mean, so I had to like I, like I was doing it for taxes. Like, let me show you how to how to do this so you can see and understand. That's what it is. It's about education and letting them know what's going on. Some schools are starting to do it. Um, like I saw, Florida State actually has a, a financial advisor come in and they do a game with the players and football players um, to kind of give them an idea of what's going to happen. Because again, it's, it's, it's a misconception, right? You go play football, and I've heard this from a lot of people. You're now, if you're a rookie, your minimum salary is $610,000. Your mind gets warped. Because now I have a lot of players that say, okay, when I leave out of here, I'll go get a job, you know, making 200, 250, and I'll, I'll be good. What? What job are you going to get earning $200,000, $250,000, right? I mean, those jobs are far and few between because you get a war sense of what, how much people make because everybody around you makes that kind of money, right? You're the broke guy making six ten, right? You know, you got veterans making a million. So that's kind of the issue. But if you, the more they understand what actually happens in the world and how hard it is to get a job right out of college, you know, you know even making $60,000 a year is a difficult thing. The more they understand of it, the more they understand it while they're in school, when they don't have money, when they do have money, it's an easier transition because they know how to handle it. That's what it ultimately boils down to. I think Dre talk about stuff like this too all the time with him transitioning out of the league and he can talk about it, you know, him not being aware of like the real world and kind of how that whole thing operates. And it's a shell shock for a lot of individuals, but we kind of mention that from time to time. Exactly. And so for me, and it's the same thing I always tell my clients, you got to retire to something and not from something. And it's hard to say, you know, for football players, because you don't plan to leave most of the time. It's you, you got cut, the team, you know, your bodies, injuries, whatever the case may be. So it's a hard transition to get out of football. So for me, it's always beginning with the end in mind, right? Even though you're playing and you need to put all your mind and effort into playing, you need to be thinking about what you want to do after you leave football and not that I'm not going to make it. And I'm only going to be, you know, play for three years. I mean, this is, this is something I always tell people in order to make it an NFL, the percentage of players for you to actually make it an NFL is so minute that you have to think that you are better than everybody else around you in order to make it there. So that doesn't stop when you get in the NFL you got to think that you're better than all the rest of the NFL players, that you're not just average and only going to spend 3.2 years. You're going to be better than average. You're going to be there for 10 years, 15 years, and retire when you want because that's the way your mentality is in order to get you to where you are, understood. But you also have to take advantage of all those other opportunities. So, for example, the NFLPA has a, a, a uh, organization uh, – uh, not organization, but um, uh, something that they do called an externship. You actually get the ability to go work for big companies three, four weeks in the year to, if it's something that, 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 that you enjoy, something that you can meet with the people and get a better understanding of that career path. What that also does is give you the connection. So when you do end up leaving, if it's voluntary or not, you can go back to those places that you had those externships and say, you know what, I'd really like to work here. My football career is now over. This is what I want to do. So you have to plan no matter what. And just because you plan doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That's what a lot of people think about. Well, if I think about not playing anymore, I won't. Nah, bruh. I don't bought life insurance. I ain't dead yet. <laughs> right? I got a plan for these things, even mm -hmm. though I don't, I, I don't want them and I don't expect them to happen anytime soon. Mm -hmm. 
I actually did one of those externships at, uh, at uh, Headspace. I did one, and uh, it was it was cool. It was fun. I had a good time. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, I learned how to use Google 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 uh, Calendar. I didn't I didn't know how to use Google Calendar, so I'm like, okay, it's pretty cool. That's like one of the best things ever. I, I use it all the time now. But uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the small things, man. That's it is, it is small you for things. Man. My point. I pre- I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a good externship, man. I really I really enjoyed that. But uh, with, with all this yeah. uncertainty going on with the pandemic, uh. What's your advice to your clients right now? Uh, you know, we got to make some changes. Uh, a lot of times the advice right now is uh, we got to plan for the worst case scenario. Um, worst case scenario is that the season doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do? So um, for, my, for my rookies going in, you know, they may want to go get an apartment right now. Um, unless they're like, you know, you, know, you know, top four rounds, you know, we need to wait on that. We need to see if the season is going to happen because there's no need for you to get an apartment and the season doesn't happen. Um, and a lot of times if you're undrafted, we never do that until you actually make the team. And when I say make the team, <laughs> I mean a couple of days after cut. <laughs> like I literally had a guy made the team the next day within 24 hours. He was on the practice squad. So, you know, um, but I plan on your budget, always worst case scenario. So even for my undrafted guys, I plan for them to have a salary of a practice squad person to make sure that they're still able to have their lifestyle. So for right now, it's, you know, any trips you're planning, any big expenses, all those things go to the, to the wayside. We need to save money and, uh, and really, really stick to our budget as best as we possibly can. Cause literally we don't know if you're going to make, um, shoot, even just going from a rookie making $610,000 to, you know, if you're undrafted making 250,000 as a salary. So, we are in a position where we're cutting costs and we're being smarter about what we do. I think not only this, this pandemic, I think it's going to, it's trimming the fat for a lot of companies and, and, and showing a lot of companies how to adjust, but I think it's going to eat, it's going to also trickle down to, like you said, athletes and those guys understanding that they can actually um, do, do well on a lower, you know, budget or a lower expense amount, uh, you know, amount of money they're spending. So I think it's going to be very beneficial for that. But uh, Mickey, just in close, man, what do you, what's your hope uh, in terms of this industry to accomplish long term or the years to come? So what, 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 what do you hope to accomplish? So, so for me, uh, as financial advisor, I, my main goal is to add more diversity to the financial advisor pool. So you look across the industry and there's roughly about 8% of financial advisors are African-American. It's a, it's a, it's a lower percentage in the nation average. And then you dive in deeper into those numbers. A lot of those advisors are probably say about half, a little bit more than half of those advisors um, tend to be insurance uh, advisors, right? That don't a lot of times focus on the investment side that really focus on the insurance side because it's easier to focus on insurance uh, because everybody needs insurance. It's something that's easy to do. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people, even, even us, don't feel that we have money and assets. I was, I was way more successful just dealing with retired people than I was dealing with athletes. I, I even lost money dealing with athletes because I was doing it right and making sure I was building it the right way. So to me, if you have more diversity, it changes the dynamic of the messaging you hear from financial advisory companies, right? I mean, you, know, you may see more people more big companies advertising to, to minority communities because now they understand that money is actually there. More than half of my millionaires are African-American, right? Mm. We have money. I don't, don't think that we don't. It is definitely an opportunity. And now because I've been talking and doing more of this, I'm actually on the, um, 
uh, Ameriprise Advisory Group uh, Council, which is a, a council that deals with the executive leadership that shapes the, the way in the future of our company and how we deal with our advisors. It's about a three-year program, and you know, I'm the only one on the on the <laughs> on that council. Uh, but you know, again, it's it's about making those changes and doing those things now, so they get a better understanding of, hey, you know, if we can do some maybe financial education programs to high school students to have them have a better understanding of finance finances, there'll be better communities, you know, citizens and be able to have more money and therefore eventually translate into more money for the companies themselves. If people understand how finances work and how to deal with yourself financially, you make more money, you save more money, then everybody wins, right? So that's the kind of conversation that I really want to have is opening the door to having more of us involved. And even in the NFLPA, the NFLPA Registered Player Financial Advisor Program, there's literally only 150 of us across the nation. It's a very, very small number. And again, there's not very many of us in, in it. So again, my, my, my goal is to educate as many people as I can to open the doors for more for everyone else. There's enough business, enough people out there that need help, that there's enough work for all of us. We just need to work together and find a better way to answer the question of how do you become successful financially? No better time than now, right? We're talking about all the diversity and things that's going on. But hey, I mean, I, that's, hopefully, you know, we can kind of tackle that because you're, being, you're talking about sports in general. In, in the representation of us outside of being on the field is very, very small. Right, right, right. And, and to me, that's a very big point. And I, and, and, I, and I bring this up to my athletes all the time. Because of the amount of money that is made in athletics, if you're able to harness that power and that money to reinvest back into your community, um, and, and it doesn't have to be a, a pro bono thing. I mean, literally start businesses and, and get to a point where you're hiring people. If you have a strong enough business where you're in hiring you know, a thousand employees, imagine the difference you make in a community. So be at that, that position, take these dollars and you'll, you'll have enough wherewithal and assets if you do it the right way and enough youth and energy to actually get it done. Because, you know, once you get out of the league, you know what, in your early thirties, on most occasions, well, you're young enough in your life to really go after starting some big time businesses. I mean, some of the wealthiest people, they didn't get wealthy until they're a lot older in life. You know, the founder of McDonald's, Warren Buffett, they're a lot older when they started making those big dollars. Imagine if you have the energy, the time, the assets, the know-how, the connections, because you did it while you were playing, and now in your 30s, you can literally start building dollar businesses. That's, all, that, that's the ultimate thing. Because the, the, the athletes, in my opinion, are changing, right? They're becoming more educated, more, uh, 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 you know, more, more fluent, honestly, I mean, to make it in the league now, a lot of times you got to have those seven on seven games and, you know, that's the future, right? Well, those seven on seven games are not cheap, right? right? I mean, you, you have to build up to that. So now you're, you're, you're a place where you're becoming, um, you're, and you're using your voice a lot more. And when players are able to use their voice a lot more and collect bargaining, then it's going to change the whole entire world. And so, and what it does is it changes the perception of how people see us, right? If we have all these millionaires and, 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 and assets and all across America, then, you know, we have power. That's what it all boils down to. Absolutely. So I appreciate you and all that you've given us. Dre, you got anything else for him? Uh, just thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I, I learned a lot. I learned just now. Like, I'm glad you I'm glad we interviewed you, man. I learned a lot just now, man. And I really appreciate it. Nah, I, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I'm, uh, I'm always about educating. That's why I go to the middle schools and high schools. I just – 
Yeah, we just need to know. Is you don't know, if you, you, you know, we die for a lack of knowledge, and that's what I want to do. We want to make sure that we have the ability to at least know what's happening, so we can move in the right directions to not only make ourselves successful but everybody else. Absolutely. So there you have it. Thank you again for for joining us on What's the Hype podcast. Wish you nothing but success, success moving forward. Thank you. All right. Patriots, guys. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. Grinding all my life, yeah. all my life, been grinding all my life. Yeah. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. I'm married to this guy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.